Hello and welcome to Are We Gundam or Are We Isekai, the podcast that's name is so complicated I almost just forgot it. I'm your host, Jeremy. I have a more impressive backstory than this show's best character. I'm Tyler. I'm always blunt and straightforward. My name is Zach. Guys, did we do it? Is this a good episode of Build Divers? Did it happen? It's close to being... I feel like it drops off a little bit at the end, but like it has some moments that make it more watchable, I think, than other episodes. I think the only reason why it feels like it's a lot more watchable is because it centers on the best character in the show. So like, it, it, I'm more willing to forgive things in, in certain places. If I rephrase, is it the best episode of Build Divers? Yes, which is sad. Yeah, I think I have to agree with that. I actually think it might be genuinely good. Just actually good. I was almost tempted to ask the end of the episode question already, because I have a very strong opinion on whether this is Gundam or Isekai. Well, we will get to that then, won't we? It's not that I don't have any nits to pick. There are a handful, but I think it actually explores interesting topics, uh, many of which we have specifically asked this show to address. I think it's a decent episode. My, a lot of my problems center on the fact that it's very much a montage episode. You are being told things happened, and in part, that's because it's a character's backstory. This isn't that unusual for anime. I don't think there's a lot of Gundam series that go this far into a character's background at one time. I agree with you, but I can't think of many mysterious Gundam characters, right? Like, I guess we get masked characters, and they're usually very slowly explored out, right? Like, I guess the closest we've seen would be Rowler Crusade, when he explains it all to Mulaflaga about his backstory. That's the closest that we've recorded, because, I mean, I think Zex is probably the biggest one. I feel like, again, uh, I haven't watched any Gundam Wing in a while, and I'm kind of jonesing. I feel like Zex is much more slowly drawn out. I'm also saying, like, he's the biggest mystery character. Him or Char, who he's based on, both of which are very slow. Yeah, we've not really gotten a dump, because there's also uh, Schwartz Bruder is another one that's like that, but I don't think we've gotten a exposition dump about a character's background quite like this. And what I'm saying is Rao is the one who has a dump, right? Where he's like, ah, I'm your dad's clone. I, I tried to burn down your house. That Kira Yamato guy sucks. You are definitely right. We, we don't usually see a lot of mystery characters in Gundam that have a lot of these... What's your mysterious background dump? Because usually they're the they're the antagonist. So they're usually playing off of each other, and so you're getting insights into the mysterious masked character as the series is continuing. And often in Gundam, it's specifically that the masked character is less villainous than he appears. There's usually a reason behind why he's doing things, and this actually does kind of track with that trope, but we've already seen it kind of with Ayame. I, I will say, though, this is much more common in other forms of anime, like you said, Zach, like, for example, Isekai, or anything where you have a large party, and so you don't want to give everyone's backstory, so you save one to be revealed later. It's just a matter of you don't want to start with introducing each character in a long, boring way, and you can get some intrigue and in being like, why does he act that way? And then later revealing, this is his deal. It's not just an Isekai thing. I only brought it up to continue Tyler's tease from earlier. It happens in lots of forms of anime. It's just not very common in Gundam. Yeah, because normally you're focusing on shitty teenagers as your focal characters who don't have much in the way of backstory. Yeah, this is their origin story. Yeah. Th this is, generally speaking, the character's origin story, and it's them learning to be a better person. And usually the masked character is, yeah, generally speaking, older than the main character. So he has a background in the world and reasons for why he's doing everything he's doing. 
I say he because I think like all of them except for Ayame have been male. Yeah, I guess it's weird to call Ayami a masked character, right? But I guess she's the closest to the trope we got, and she does technically have a mask. Granted, it is the Kakashi ninja mask, but, like, yeah, she's she's the closest to the trope we have. If you want to torture that already tortured trope even more. So, yeah, shall we get into it? Anything else you want to say up front, Tyler? Nope. I think most of my thoughts on the show actually come at the end of the show, as opposed to the interesting parts in the middle, but... Okay. If you want to watch along, you can do so on Crunchyroll or YouTube or Funimation. We are watching episode 11 of Gundam Build Divers, Ayame's Tears, and I think it's actually good. I don't know that I recommend you watch it, but... It requires a little bit of build-up from other much worse episodes first. Yeah, because in order to care about Ayame as a character, so and therefore care about this episode, you need to know who she is. Yes. So we basically start back with where we ended last episode. With her being like, I can't allow you to go any further, Riku. Check out my bird. And Riku being like the most solid snake. You can't allow me to go any further. What do you mean? I'm too boring to have like reactions to this. Otacon, is there a backstory here? At the same time, Riku is naive enough that I don't think he would ever think someone would turn on him. I guess. It just seems like such a bland. Like everything Riku says in this to me sounds so bland. Well, that's because Riku is dull as dishwater. Like, his character is so dull. You're basically just an empty sack for me to vent my backstory to, so I think I will take this opportunity for therapy. (laughs) You know, they do say it it tends to hurt less if you talk about it. He's like, I received an order to defeat you. And Riku's like, an order? I don't understand. Sarah does. She's just not saying anything. (laughs) Um, He's like, I also have something I need to fight to protect so i gotta fight you and then her bird comes apart and she combines with it and oh no she actually has a real gumpla i think this is a thing that actually happens for one of the characters in one of the sv gundams is they combine with the bird i'm sorry like the reason i started laughing is because as soon as this whole thing like started transforming the little thing at the top of the screen popped up and was like check out the website and I read it as, check out the web store. Buy all our playsets and toys. This is a pretty <laughs> cool transformation, right? Would you like to purchase it for $19.99? Something very similar happens in Gundam Build Fighters Try, where the support player basically has an SD Gundam that can transform for if the other two get taken out and it has to fight on its own. I mean, that's kind of a neat idea. I actually like this transformation fairly well. It's a little echoey. It's a little bit of, oh, I've seen this before, but I don't mind it. Especially because I think both the SD version and the real version are pretty cool. I like the real version, but I'm not a big fan of the SD style of Gundams in general. They're just a little too chippy, I think. And oh no, it's her final form. And you didn't even kill Krillin. What am I supposed to do here? And he's like, wait, none of this makes sense to me. And she's like, too bad, opening credits. I mean, to be fair, like I said, I, I think that Riku's character is such that He doesn't think anything through and is like, wait, people can betray you? That's the thing that happens? I just wish he was anything so that all his lines weren't literally repeating what she just said. At least when David Hayter does it, it's funny. So the champion is dodging beams from the Providence. And this guy's like, I don't even play GBN. I just play like Super Meat Boy or something. This is so easy. The champion says his movements don't follow standard theory, and I'm like, what the hell is standard theory? It's the meta. Yeah, as I say, it kind of makes sense. I have lost matches of Smash to people because they just don't move the way you expect, even though they're objectively worse. It only lasts like one match usually, but... 
And he's like, I have no love for GBN. And Champion is like, take that back. How dare you? It's like, dude, I just told you. I've only played this game a handful of times. And I don't think we're supposed to read anything into this. But the, the translation I've seen specifically is like, yeah, I just, I'm a fighting game mercenary. I just move from game to game. And I wonder if this is trying to say anything about people who have no, in like esports that have no loyalty to the game they play. Or if it wasn't thought of at all. Probably the latter, but. I don't think it was thought of at all. I don't know that there's a lot of people that, number one, do jump around a lot of different games professionally. Um, I know there are some, but yeah, Sonic in order... Chu is who comes to mind right now, who is a Mortal Kombat 11 champion and a Dragon Ball Fighters champion. Yeah, I mean, there's probably a few, but most of them probably stay in one genre. Because there's a lot of overlap and skill translation between, like, Mortal Kombat and Dragon Ball Fighters. Because they're both 2D fighters, but you're not going to see a lot of skill translate from those to, say, League of Legends. You put your thumb right on it, Zach. This is yelling at all those people who enter Smash tournaments, even though it's not their main game. But they don't love Smash. They're just getting in because everybody gets in and plays Smash at the tournament. Because <laughs> everyone knows how to play Smash. Those guys don't beat the champion, though. So cut back to Riku, who is just defending against IMA. She's got, like, a beam gun that projects a big Naginata blade. And Riku's like, how could you? We're teammates. The power of friendship compels you. This is where my, like, practical to the point nature kind of gets in the way sometimes. Because my first thought was, beat her into the dirt now, talk about this later. It's not like she's going to go anywhere. Well, as we'll see, their fight is boring enough that they can have a very long conversation during it without being distracted. And is like, teammates. I had teammates once. <laughs> I too had teammates once. And I, like, cared about them and couldn't imagine they'd betray me. Zoom in on Sarah, who just looks, like, super intrigued, like an O'Reilly owl. <laughs> I thought, when it zoomed in on Sarah, that she was going to have some sort of actual important part to play in this flashback, or that she would appear at all in it. Like, she was actually one of IMA's teammates, and they just hadn't talked about it at all this entire time. Or if, like, she had been around for it. Like, she popped in or something like that. So we flash back, and she's like, it was a while after I started playing. You could tell I was a noob because some Leos were giving me trouble. And he's like, ah, I went too far testing the, my new machine. I have to get to a hangar. Because consequences, they exist. Yeah, I'll face a small penalty if they catch me. One catches her, but then from the sky, a laser destroys it. And it's more chibi Gundams. What are these chibi versions of? I think they're both customs. The one on the left looks like a cross between a tall geese and a night Gundam. I was going to say, it looks distinctly Tolgeezy. The one on the right looks very Phoenix Gundam-y to me, which comes from the SD Generation Crossrace games. It's original to those, but I'm not certain if that's it or not. It's just the feeling I get. I am not an SD Gundam expert. So like, yeah, we thought it was weird seeing enemies in this area, so we thought we'd be presently and help out. And she's like, I'm very shy on Sundere. Uh, I don't know what to say. Thanks. And Guy is like, no problem. You should come hang out with us. There are more SD Gundams over here. You play alone? Well, we have a force of all SD Gundams. You should totally join. I was going to say, I just really like this weird Gremlin Gundam. Second one from the left there? Yeah. We see other shots of it later, and it's like, always just weirdly bestial. And I like that. And she's like taken aback by the offer to join. These guys even have like character designs. And the guy's like, anyone who pilots an SD Gundam qualifies. So you want to join? You got Archbishop. You got Yeehawk. <laughs> Janeri Sue. And Hero, the best little kid. She was their Sarah. So they uh, give a line about teamwork, and Ayame is like, 
I'm not sure. And then she gets press ganged into uh, being in the force. She's like, yeah, I just kind of went along with it at first. But as we went along, I started enjoying it. And we see her like slowly being like, yeah, I want to be quiet, fun having girl. We see them go to the Bear Guy Festival. Standing on the Leo Rock thing. And their force nest slowly getting bigger. We get a scene of Ayame without her mask. That's how comfortable she was. And then we cut to them looking at a chart. And they're like, oh, we've been winning a lot lately, especially because Ayame is getting stronger. She's our ace now. So they're all sitting together and Archbishop dude shows up and is like, I brought it with me. This absolute travesty. He did an art. It wasn't the good art, but he didn't ask if he should, just if he could. Oh, dear God. Like, I understand the theory, but oh man, does this thing look like crap. It's just a mess. Like I said, I think this episode is good, but I have some nits to pick. And the idea of, oh, I made a commemorative Gumpla that looks like all of ours combined is a super good idea, and I get it. But the fact that Ayami's like, emotional arc centers around this objectively ghastly-looking thing is not the best. <laughs> I don't know that I would have gone so far as to call it ghastly, but it's certainly uh... horrific. <laughs> it has too many heads. Hey, it heard you like heads, so it put a head in its head, so it could have even more heads. But they continue to win with it. Zach, you should love it. Apparently, it's completely function over form. Okay, like, I'm usually function over form is the most important thing, but you do have to have some aesthetics. That thing has none. But it gets them into the top 50 forces, and they're like, all right, yeah, let's aim to get in the top 10. You know what it is, and we're going to find out about it shortly. It has some super cheesy strat (laughs) that doesn't work as soon as people actually know how to deal with it. Do they ever actually use it? Yeah, we just saw in that montage that he was using it. I guess I missed it in the montage. I was expecting it to stand out a bit more. It was pretty front and center. Also, can we talk very briefly about the name of their team? Oh, the Chat Noir? The Black Cat. Yep. One cat. A single one. Clearly, Archbishop just thought of a force name before he even thought of the SD all gimmick. And then he met his girlfriend, who also used an SD Gundam, and they're like, yeah, let's do all SD Gundams. It'll be great. So they get to the top 30. So they do the biggest mistake you can make. They started talking about how much wins they've had in a row and getting too big for their britches. The girl even points that out, but the leader is like, yeah, come on, let him be happy. And then Emperor Palpatine is here hanging out on their balcony. Apparently he was a mercenary for this. I'm not sure exactly like how, since they said it was only, it's like six on six, four sizes. That's what they presented up to this point. They throw the word mercenary out a lot in this series. I wish they would just, like, go into what GBN mercenaries are like. Do they just go around joining different forces? We should have a focus character who's a mercenary, right? Except for they want the word mercenary to mean bad guy. And, you know, maybe this was a seven on seven, and so they need an extra guy. Or maybe one of them was sick. But, I mean, that would make sense, although they have shown that they've recruited a bunch more people, so... It's just another one of those vagaries of the fact that we don't know exactly how GBN's, like, force thing is supposed to work. And I guess, generally speaking, mercenaries are not considered to be particularly good. I think most series, mercenaries have been used as, like, negative connotation. Sure, but I just want to know what, like, a GBN mercenary is like. Because it seems mostly like just a bad word people throw out. But right here, he's like, yeah, good mercenarying. You were a big help, Palpatine. Presumably by providing us evil tactics. He's like, how long are you going to keep this SD only? 
Soon you will not be able to win. High-ranking players know more about the pros and cons of SD Gundams. Well, this is kind of what I was talking about when I mentioned that it must be using some kind of super super cheesy tactic. Is that, like, yes, your cannon rush will work to a point where everybody knows how to deal with cannon rushes. Sure, but I think it's a little more nuanced on that because they still get the top 30, right? And this is the most popular thing in the world, as we've established many dumb times. So they must also be pretty good. But I take it more as because they're all SD Gundams, there are also just things that you can exploit about them. Although I think you are slightly right, Zach. I think some of their victories probably do come from that. It's probably a combination of both. The SD Gundams have some kind of inherent problem with them that, like, for, like, just as an example, they can't take ground very well, or they can't hold ground very well, but other real Gundams can, or maybe their weapons are lighter. Yeah, this show isn't interested in establishing any sort of rules about the meta, so we'll never know what those advantages and disadvantages are, but that they have them tracks to me and is kind of interesting. I mean, it would make sense now that I think about it for the SD Gundams to actually only be able to carry lighter weapons, but be able to do some really fancy, like, weird stuff like Ayame's cloak. Yeah, and like all her ninja tricks. And they're probably harder to hit. By virtue of being small. But anyway, Bishop Leader is like, nah. I'm like, you might be right, but for now, we're going to keep trucking along. And he's like, I also provide Gumpla. If you ever need a real type, just come see me. <laughs> or, you know, you could go to your local Gundam store and buy one. Like, apparently they're cheap enough that the kids were able to just buy one and we know that riku has multiples usd they're usually about 10 to 30 dollars depending on the complexity of the kit that's cheap as dirt i mean you want to talk expensive where you need to actually dedicate some money to start talking about a gw brand model kit yeah i think what they're trying to establish here is as a mercenary he also sells like custom gumpla as like yeah i put this one together and i'm a good builder which you do think there would certainly be a market for yeah, that, that would make a lot more sense. It's just that was the first thing I thought of was like, you know, they're not that expensive. Anyway, cut to that man's prediction was correct. We got our ass kicked a bunch. It was very sad. We got the Gundam knocked right out of us. So apparently this group just got the tar kicked out of him and nobody bothered to practice. Well, they're in the top 30. Or 30s. learn. I, you do hit a wall eventually. In order to break through and, you know, get to the top where they said they wanted to get and to win games you have to practice you have to learn and you have to analyze what did we do wrong what can we do better next time apparently they just expected to do the same things over and over again and start winning again i don't understand why you're assuming that because i read this as a story where they did try that and they couldn't get further and they kept getting frustrated and all the people who joined their guild because they were winning and because of the excitement slowly started to leave and that started to chafe at their confidence it's probably because I would have liked to have seen somebody mention something like that or seen a scene where they were talking about something along those lines, but we don't really see something like that. Yeah, because they go with the dramatic thing when they're like, okay, we want to like make a change, right? Because this is a dramatic show. Yeah. We are giving a full 20-minute Sayami's backstory. It's a ton of time to spend. So we see some random dudes we've never seen before who are new recruits. We don't even see their faces, as opposed to the rest of her force that had full character designs. Talk about how their rank is dropping and they haven't been winning. Uh, the Middle Eastern girl is like, hey, hang in there. Naturally, our opponents will get stronger the higher up we go. We have to keep at it. I wonder how the what's it called works. The MMR system works in this. Like, What MMR system? Would, would they just keep dropping and then keep 
being matched up with where they last, like, their top rank. From what we've seen, you have to scout out your opponents, right? You don't just go into matches. Well, you do, at least in some cases, because that's how they fought Ogre's team. They specifically say that is a monthly event. So I guess you are correct in that they do sometimes. But I imagine that because they're high-ranked, low-ranked teams are like, yeah, we don't want to play against you. And they would not graze in rank by defeating them. That makes sense. Anyway, cut to a bloody battlefield full of destroyed SD Gundams in the rain, so it looks like they're crying. And then cut to the Force in their Force base, starting to take it out on each other, like tends to happen. But not the core group, which I think is a little important to note. It is more faceless dudes, when one's like, why do you always mess up like that, man? We'd win if it weren't for you. And Yeehaw is like, hey, stop fighting, as Ayame is sat out in the rain. Well, I mean, it makes sense. Like, when people are losing consistently, you start looking for places to... uh more or less assign blame because you got to take out for you, mostly it's just taking out frustration but that does cause problems yeah that that is how the beatles break up for example so cut to ima shining her gumpless eyes in gbn don't ask me how that works i don't know well we have seen them be able to manifest their gundams without being in them so like if that's just something you want to do like, it seems like something you should do to your Gumpla in the real world to make it look better. Not Anyway, never mind. She overhears a bunch of people arguing with Dad about how they should be using real-type Gumpla as well, because forces have analyzed their tactics and it's not working anymore. I, that, I guess, is a kind of an indicator for what you mentioned, is that they have done their homework. People have scouted them out. They've seen what they can do. And SD Gundams, like once you know all their tricks, there's not a lot that they can do to really overpower you. So we're back. Tyler made a podcasting goof and an hour of podcast went up in smoke. Whoops. I hit undo too many times. So this is attempt number two on recording this episode, or this part of this episode. We've got a little bit more than half of it to go. Our energy is probably going to be different. I am exhausted for some reason. Tyler said he's more energetic, though, so that's good. That balances out. I still really like this episode. I unfortunately think we did a real good job on the first recording. Hopefully, I still think that after this. Unfortunately, we just did too well on the last one. So we return with the force Le Cat Noir saying that they should start using real types. We had just said so that you guys know. Zach, you just made the comment about how uh, it was people figuring out their SD tricks. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, how they're just too cute to fire on. Well, no, they just have all the uh, the little, like, cheesy tactics, like being able to turn invisible and teleport and stuff like that, where if you know how to fight back against them, they're really easy to take down. But if you don't, then they're super difficult. I feel like it's probably more a thing of they're very one-dimensional, right? It's not like they're cheesy. It's that they have limits that you can't get around. And the better players are better at exploiting those. They're like a little bit min-maxed, but that means they have hard counters. Yes. Well, I mean, I like my theory of them just being... uh, Like, they have that one really cheesy thing that works really well in low elo, but doesn't work very well at high elo. I think it's important to note that the core members of the group are all just like, man, this really sucks that everyone's so gloomy. And it's mostly like the other people they brought in who are doing all the complaining about it. Well, yeah, because they joined a team that was on the ascendancy. They joined a winning team. They're not winning anymore. So what the hell are they even doing here? So Hero notices that their framed photo of the terrible, terrible Gumpla of... 
Friendship. Friendship. There you go. That's the word. The Taya Gundam. <laughs> and also terribleness. The photo has been knocked off the mantle and the frame is cracked. So it just reached its durability limit, like somebody hit it with a sunder or something like that. So it's basically the same equivalency of something being flashing yellow in, in WoW. <laughs> I was going to say, you just need to take a whetstone to the photo until it's shiny again. <laughs> Some of the members are like, oh man, why do we even bother? We're just going to lose again. But then Pope SD is like, no, today we're going to win. This tree was hiding my super cool new real-type Gundam. It's a V-Buster. That's from a great series. It can't possibly lose. Oh, wait a minute. Is this thing from that series everybody says I would hate? No, you would hate the Victory Gundam specifically. Victory Gundam is also not great, so I don't think you would like it. But, like, I mean, it's Tomino at the end of his rope, so it is, like, a very depressing story of a boy who just, like, wants to be a shonen <laughs> anime protagonist, but it isn't a Gundam series. I thought Victory Gundam also had all those kind of things that were like, yeah, you would just hate all of this. It's so toyetic that it's what caused Tomino to quit, and it's why we got G Gundam. For better or worse. Ah. Uh. So his girlfriend is like, what? We're, what happened to being all SDs, though? Why didn't you talk to anybody about this? And the battle pope is like, battle plans. Well, I mean, it makes sense why they'd be a little upset. Like I said, trying something new is one thing you would try in order to turn around and to win a game or to break a losing streak. But what that Gundam meant, as bad as it was, you'd still want to ask people, hey, like, can we check and make sure that we're all on board with this idea? Yeah, it reeks of desperation. He's trying to do something dramatic to turn around the mood, but it is a desperate measure. So when it doesn't work, as we're about to find out, it actually super backfires and just makes it all way worse. It completely breaks morale because even the original people who were mostly commenting that they were mostly upset that everyone else was upset, not they were they were losing. It kind of breaks their spirit because it almost breaks the community. So Ayami's like, what happened to our super cool friendship, Gumpla? And he's like, I don't know, that Palpatine guy made me trade it to him as part of the deal. He was like, I dig the number of heads it has. I will totally take that. No, it's entirely because of the fact that he knows it's got sentimental value. That's what makes it valuable to him. That's all he cares about. Yeah, either that or he's playing five-dimensional chess and he's like, yes, this is how I will manipulate that cute ninja girl into working for me. But I definitely think you're right, Zach. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's not 5D chess. I'm pretty sure it's just, you want me to help you? All right, well, you're going to cost, it's going to cost your soul. Yes. <laughs> or the next best thing, which is the Gundam. Oh, man, I have so many questions about this guy's involvement with this force after having watched the next episode. <laughs> we have to wait for it. Yep. Yeah, so th it's back to the modern day in which they're all fighting out in space. This is... I can't remember. It's not the assault team. Is it the cover team? Defense team, I think. Support? I think it's defense team, which doesn't make any lick of sense to me, but whatever. And Rommel's like, if our formation collapses, they'll overwhelm us. We have to tighten up. To me, my gunpla. I like Zach referring to this as the modern day, as if the previous scenes we've been seen are some sort of antiquity. <laughs> Back in my Victorian era MMO. <laughs> Did I say modern era? I, I, I meant present. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense what Rommel's saying, because they apparently can't kill the enemy mobile suits. So you need to have enough fire just blasting outward to keep them away from you. So we see Koichi cover someone who's falling back. That is the mobile suit of Patrick Colasar. The person apologizing is voiced by Patrick Colasar's voice actor. And according to the credits, that, credits, that is our Patrick Colasar cameo for the episode. 
<laughs> That's really, really esoteric, isn't it? I kind of love how done with everyone's shit Koichi looks while he's telling that guy to fall back, too. He always looks that way, though. He's got resting bitch face pretty bad. Well, I mean, let's be honest. He's always hanging around Riku and his team because of the fact that he was recruited. So he's just constantly stuck being finished with this shit. Oh, these kids are so generic and annoying. <laughs> Speaking of that, Momoka's like, Koichi, help! As Yuki's like, I wonder how the assault team is doing. Well, Riku can do it, so so can I. Blast. I totally partially destroyed that guy. But then Tiger Wolf finishes it off with, I guess, enthusiasm. Apparently, the theory is they won't regenerate if they kill them enough. If they kill them hard enough, I should say. <laughs> yeah, it's cell logic. You just have to destroy every cell in a Kamehameha. So Shariar and Tiger will flirt while they're out of breath at each other. And they're like, hey, let's go flirt with the champion, too. And Shariar's like, no, I want a serious one-on-one -on -one relationship. You're so flighty. <laughs> <laughs> but they are cut off by a guy. It's one of the lieutenant mooks. Yeah, a guy that feels like he should have a name, but I don't think he does, so this is just bonus. Nothing wrong with being a mercenary and being paid to do violence. I like that both Tiger Wolf and Sharyar are rank triple S. Is that the highest ranking in this system? Do we have any idea? It's right below champion. This system seems to change every time they need to show somebody's rank in it. To be fair, plenty of real-world video games do that, too. He's fast, even though he's not Kiriyamato, though, and he's got a cool Titus Gundam with guns, and it's got those beam shoulders similar to what Ogre has. And he fasts at them so hard they explode, but they're fine afterward. Cut back to Ayame and Riku. Apparently, Ayame is just telling all this to Riku while they weakly struggle over her beam Naginata. And she's like, yeah, I understand why the Pope did what he did. I'd have probably had to do it, too because he was trying to protect the force. But I still think it was a dick move and he should have talked to us. Also, it didn't work. She says in the battle where they used real types, um, you used one. Like, you had a real type. And even then, like, you just got the thing. You don't necessarily know every little thing it can do. Chasing the meta doesn't always work. It can be the most powerful piece of equipment you've ever had. But if you don't know how it works, it really doesn't matter. Like I said, I just think this is a total morale breaker because the excuse they came up with is, oh, yeah, if we had real types, we'd be able to win. And then that's instantly shattered. And now they don't even have the excuse to fall back up. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the case, I think, because like you said, that was their excuse. Everyone was saying, hey, if we weren't using the SDs, we'd be fine. We could win again. But then they get one and it doesn't make a difference. They still get their asses handed to them. So members started leaving as they kept spiraling downward. And that caused them to fight more, which caused more people to leave. It just became a vicious cycle. And even the original members started leaving, blaming themselves for it. And Naomi's like, hey, it's not your fault. You're not responsible. And they're just like, I just can't anymore. We joined because it was fun, and it's just not. This is one of those situations where you get getting burned by success. Because the way these guys are presented, I feel like if they hadn't had all of the new guys come in... Like, the Force itself would have been fine with just the SD Gundams and running around and being friends and having fun. But you add in all the other guys and they kind of bring things down when they start losing. And then, as you say, morale completely shatters. And that's when it really gets to everybody else. Unfortunately, even Yeehaw and Hero are leaving. And then it's just the Pope, his girlfriend, and Ayame in the Force. And the Pope's like, oh, if only I was a better leader. This is all my fault. Well, you know, he's not wrong. 
In a way, yes, but I also don't know. Like, he made the wrong move for sure because he was desperate, but I don't think there is a thing he could have done that would have done anything but make this a slower process. It really depends on how they went about it. I think it would be possible, but it would definitely have been an uphill battle. That said, I honestly can't think of anything that I would say would likely have saved this issue. So they're like, yeah, we're out too. Ayame, you're the only one who wants to go on. So the force is yours now. Sorry. You can keep the house. So then Ayame's all alone in that big empty house with her broken picture frame. Which has been taped back together, which I kind of like. That kind of begs a question whether or not she still has access to this force nest, though. Yeah, I'm not sure. It would make sense on the one hand, but does she just maintain it until she joins another force? Like, would she lose access to it now that she's part of Riku's force? Depends on if the plot think it's more interesting for her to have it or not. Yeah, that's definitely true. So the answer is probably not, because <laughs> I don't think they're paying any attention to their plot, really. So she's like, that's when I got the thought in my head that if we had that Gumpla back, it would fix everything, because that was the symbol of our friendship. So I went to Emperor Palpatine, who's like, hey, I'll give you your assault buster back. And he's like, I could give it back, but I don't need money or Gumpla. I need ninjas. And you're the coolest ninja <laughs> I know. So if you work hard, I will give it back to you. Ninjas are all about friendship. <laughs> Believe it. The way you're voicing that guy just now specifically really makes me think he belongs in Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged. <laughs> okay, so my Palpatine voice is good enough for Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged, is what you're saying. Yes. Which I think is a high bar. <laughs> I will take it as a compliment. And she's like, ah, that doesn't sound great, but I suppose. So that's how I became his subordinate. And I started peddling brake decals and guarding him, disrupting the administration, supporting mass divers vaguely with my bird, and working as an undercover spy to dismantle forces from within. Implying that she's done exactly what she did to the build divers before. Yeah, and I really would have liked to see that or the consequences of it. Like we say, Ayame's the best character, and they've done a pretty good job showing her backstory thus far. But I would have loved to see if someone told Riku, oh, no, don't recruit her. She's a jinx. Every force she joins ends up disbanding. You could even make reference to that OHMS team character who every squad he dies, he's in dies. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense if they would have gone about doing that. But that would have also required them spending a bit more time on Ayame, even though, like, as we said, Ayame is the best character. This is also an entire episode dedicated to her. And we've had multiple episodes of setup for her, too. Not entire episodes devoted to her, but probably at least the total episode, if you chunk it all together. One of the easy ways I think that you could get around that is because of the fact that they are so close to like the top tier teams. Having uh, Tiger Wolf and Shariar talk about the fact that they've seen her and like forces that she's on seem to fall apart. And you could even do a thing where they say, oh, but she's really good. She's usually the ace of those forces before it happens, maybe. They don't even necessarily need to be telling Riku if they're just having a conversation about it. Like when they're all hanging out during the fight against Rommel, you know, you have Rommel or Rommel's force, you have Rommel, the champion, you know, all those guys on that carrier. If they happen to mention it, like this would feel more like it was a thing as opposed to this is just something that they added in here at the last. On the other hand, though, this totally sounds like the sort of dick move Palpatine would make her do. And it kind of helps with her feeling like she's unclean, as is her theme throughout this episode. She has ruined people's fun. The worst thing you can do. The second worst thing you can do, as we'll get to shortly. 
So Riku continues solid snaking. There's like, a spy? No way. And she's like, I've gone too far to stop now. Sunk cost fallacy, Riku. Eat shuriken. But he deflects shuriken. And he's like, aha, I have your naginata. And she's like, well, eat beam kunai then. And Riku starts to say, doing this won't. And she's like, doing this won't, what? Bring them all back? I know that. And I super love this bit because it dives super well into the emotional thinking she's clearly doing. Like, she was desperate, and that was like, she was like, oh, if I just had that Gumpla back, it would all fix it. And she's realized at some point that's not true. She probably even knew at the time, and it was just desperate. And now she's just totally unsunk cost fallacy. I did it for this. If I don't at least get that, this was all worthless, so I have to keep going. Yeah, and it does kind of give you a good example of her headspace for this whole affair like why is she just not wiping the floor with him number one i have to explain myself or i feel i have to about why this is happening why i'm doing this because if i don't then what's the point she pulls out and fires a beam magnum at him yeah the beam magnum from the unicorn since her mobile suit is based on the unicorn she only fires it vaguely at him it hits some rubble that falls on him she doesn't seem to be aiming for him directly i do actually really like the weight it seems to have compared to other beam weapons. So she grabs him in a chokehold, like they're in a shonen anime and not in giant robots. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense to go for the throat in Gundam, especially because, like, the cockpit on Gundams isn't even in the head. Yeah, it's all about the imagery, which has been this serious problem in many places. So Riku and Ayame new type at each other, as Riku's like, come on, what you're saying is irrational. And she's like, shut up, you're irrational. This is my ninja way. <laughs> Ayami's like, I've done a lot of terrible things. I've hurt people, so I can't turn back now. But Rika's like, no, it's never too late to turn around. You made your memories in GBN, right? So you can't destroy GBN. Yeah, he's shonens at her. And she's like, well, I didn't think cheating would literally create data hurricanes in the world that would bore holes in it, because that doesn't make any (laughs) sense. But here we are. And she's like, I know this won't fix anything, that I'm not going to get my friends back from this. But if I turn back, I'll have nothing. And Riku's like, but you could have the power of friendship. The most powerful object. The phrasing he uses is, uh, he just says, then connect them, which I think might be a poor translation in the subtitles. And the dub, it just says you can start over. Which makes a lot more sense. She's like, it won't make your sins disappear, but you can go in the future. You can do good stuff now. Like... Be a ninja for good. Fight Palpatine. Learn a Rasengan. Find out that killing your brother didn't do anything, but then try to be a Hokage. You care about your teammates. I can tell from the battles we've done together. It might have only been a short while, but I can tell you've known him for like a month. Yeah, but could anyone evil care about winning a bear guy? Yes! No, it's impossible. They're too cute. She's like, but I betrayed everyone, even you guys. And Riku's like, oh, I don't feel betrayed. And Sarah's like, hey, you're crying, and your Gumpla's crying. And, and we all know that's the worst. Zoom in on the Gumpla's face, which is obviously not crying. Because it's a machine, it doesn't cry. And she's like, but where would I go? And Riku's like, oh, I don't know, that little hole in the wall we call a forest nest? Sarah sleeps there. She seems comfy. We gave her a dog bed. Yeah, that's a little curious. Do you ever log out? Zach, we don't have time to explore Wave right now. Or ever. <laughs> and Riku's like, yeah, that's right. Me, Yuki, Momo, and KO1 are all your friends. And Sarah says, and Sarah! Like, she's in Pokemon. Well, I mean, she's just the team mascot. <laughs> I guess he just forgot she was there. She's right there with him in this conversation. Or may- maybe he decided he wanted to let Sarah speak for herself. And that was her response. 
I am more concerned about her third person reference. It's just a Japanese thing. It's fine. I was going to say maybe that's not her real name. And so she's like, I'll use my character's name. The character (laughs) of Sarah supports you. I kind of think you're a bitch, but my role play character would want to forgive you. So I'll so go Sarah says it's this. a better story. Sarah's players actually like a 40 year old neckbeard who never leaves his apartment. <laughs> He's like, I've always wanted to role play a cute anime girl. Talking about exploring the mysterious waif made me think of a hypothetical product that I want just called wafers, which are basically just animal crackers in the shape of iconic waifs. Ayame is crying because that's the name of the episode. And Riku's like, if you can't bear the sins alone, we'll help you because that's what friends are for. And then we'll help you make up for them. If you can't bear guy them alone. Share the burden. Share the load. And she remembers when her friends watched Lord of the Rings together. And she's like, ah, maybe you are my friends. And she's about to come along when they get blasted from off screen. And there's giant enemy Kubali. And there's a jerk. You can tell he's a jerk because his chin is very angled, as are his eyes and eyebrows. He could seriously, like, stab somebody with that chin. And Riku's like, hey, that's cheap. Yeah, so? You should honorably introduce yourself first. And start shooting at him, but he's like, that won't work. My gumpla is cheatery. It's immune to damage. That's even better than being regenerating. And Riku's like, what if I use swords? And he's like, swords are also damaged, so... No, that won't work. Bye. And he judo throws him. It doesn't even judo throw him. He just kind of like tosses him. He's like, all right, you can go sit over there for now. Yeah, he geese throws him. Geese! Dude, geese are fucking evil. Like, don't mess with geese. I'm more of a king player. I'm solidly Terry, as bland as that is. Oh, oh, yeah, I'm terrible at King of Fighters. Carrie is the only character I can play because he's Ryu. Oh, I was thinking geese as in the evil bird. Zach, all birds are evil. Except for ducks, which are chaotic neutral. Honk. Yes, but geese are especially evil. Them and peacocks. So the Kubali starts shooting with its added shoulder cannons. Very poorly. Yeah, well, he he's invincible, so he never learned to play. Well, I guess he's an out-of-game mercenary, so he probably has never played this game before, or very little. So Ayami jumps in from behind with her kunai and is like, go, Riku, I'll deal with this guy. You gotta go fight Palpatine. Not sure exactly how she intends to do that since he doesn't take damage, but... She can restrain him, as we'll see very shortly. She can certainly stall him. Yeah, I guess that's true. She is very effective in not letting him chase Riku. Anyway, he's like, once a traitor, always a traitor. I'm going to prey on you emotionally. I think that would have been even better if he'd been uh, on one of the teams that she broke up. We had this exact discussion last time, but what if she recruited him out of a team that she broke up? Although, then the ending wouldn't work for this episode, for this fight, so. But then you're asking for this episode to have, like, better emotional stakes, and it, like, it's already doing pretty good on that arena. I think asking it to be better is just too much of the show. Well, a lot of the things that I wish it would do would be fine if it was 50 episodes, and it's kind of hampered by the fact that it's only 24 so Captain Mercenary fighting the champion, who's like, ah, is that how a champion fights? Smartly. And he gets behind him and is like, ah, to be honest, I was hesitant about this mission because I thought mass divers were probably people who really liked GBN and just wanted to have fun winning. Like that one girl. But you don't like GBN, the greatest sin of all. So I must destroy you. Yeah. He kind of goes way over the top with that. He's a G Gundam fan at heart. I think it's pretty obvious that age is his favorite. Look. Seed is my favorite, but I'm a G Gundam fan. He does definitely like G Gundam quite a bit based on his special move. You know, I just had a thought. 
Do you, do you think the champion, when he found out about special moves, went out of his way to research how to get that Excalibur move, and then played in that fashion to get that? So he tears apart the starfish off the Providence, which actually looks pretty good without it. Then he kicks him away and just shoots him to death, despite his regeneration. Then he explodes. And he's like, ah, this is the champ's power, as he's bathed in, like, redemption light. And the champ's like, farewell, love with one. Cut to Tiger Wolf and Shariar special moving Captain Bonus to death. They get an extra life for it. He's introduced and immediately eliminated within, like, five minutes. My bonus. I love that Tiger Wolf's like, you ain't funky enough, which is how I'm going to choose to interpret his statement. And Shariar's like, and you don't spend enough on our playsets and toys. <laughs> Cut back inside where Ayame and the Kubuli are fighting anime style where there's just beams of light that are blasting at each other. They cross swords and then Ayame ninjas behind him and gets him in a full Nelson, the deadliest of grappling moves. And he's like, ah, you think you can disable me from my blind spot? I'm a Kubuli. I'm made out of funnels, bitch. I got all the funnels to shoot you at. My primary weapon system is my funnels. So ha, take this. Also, this is exactly what Char did to the Kubuli. At the end of Zeta Gundam. And you remember how it turned out for him? He was so dead he didn't come back for the entirety of double Zeta Gundam. <laughs> and I'm accurate enough to shoot you off without hitting me with all these funnels. And then Ayame reveals the fact that her gunpla is based off of the unicorn and has its systems. Well, it's more of like, she's like, yeah, you obviously have never seen Gundam. Because you don't know what the unicorn Gundam's whole deal is. Although, to be fair, in her current like shape, if you told me that thing was based off the unicorn, I wouldn't get it. I, I'm still not sure I see it. Huh. Okay. It's very apparent to me. Also, her nin, uh, NTD system is called the Nintodo because it's she's a ninja, you see. And if you don't know, the unicorn has the ability to take over enemy funnels because it was created to destroy enemy new types. And she does the cool thing where she pulls out her palm and then closes it into a fist as all the funnels blast him. And she says the same thing the champion does. Goodbye, loveless one. I wonder if that sounds better in Japanese. I bet it does. Probably. But it's basically them saying, you don't buy enough of our playsets and toys. Gate kept. We do see her eject the SD Gundam from the explosion. And she's missing like a leg. Is she missing an arm too, or is it just the leg? I think it's an arm as well, but I'm not sure. Katu Riku, who has parked the double O diver ace, and she and Sarah are out in the corridors. And Sarah's like, how's IMA Riku? And he's like, how should I know? Fine, probably. She's a cool ninja. He says, I'm still getting a reading, so it's fine. So they enter Palpatine's man cave, and he's like, how did you know I was here? You came straight here by the shortest possible route. I love how his first thing he says to him is, how the hell did you even know I was here? You have some sort of wall hack? Did I get into business with you? Did I sell you something? I think I remember a girl that vacant, and a boy that personality is. <laughs> oh wait, there's two of you? Man, there's so little personality back there, I thought there was only one person. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like Sarah has just enough personality for Riku. And he's like, you are selling break decals and you made IMA a spy. I'll never forgive you. And he's like, no, I will never forgive you, any of you. <laughs> this world is full of lies and deception. And I can also do the cool fist thing. Who do you think taught Ayame the cool fist thing? End of episode. <laughs> so yeah, I think this one's good. Should I go into the theory that I have for what his deal is on this live one, or no? I go ahead. I don't remember if you said you had a theory before or after the cut. But yeah, go ahead. What, what do you think his deal is? I think he, especially because of the fact that we saw a guy that looks a lot like him as part of Koichi's like Gundam Gunplug model duel team. Gunplug club. I think 
he was probably one of those Gunpla duel guys before GBN really caught on, and GBN basically killed that scene. So his entire deal is, I'm going to break GBN because it fucked up my gaming ability with those. So you think he's me, and he's like, Build Fighters was way better. This show sucks. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Solid theory. We'll see if it pans out next week. Not really sure where to go with this. I guess we'll just hop right in. Do you have a high t- point, Tyler? Several, unfortunately. Like, I really liked all the backstory that Ayame got. I thought it was, like, reasonably well composed. Ayame's characterization while she's fighting Riku and, like, realizes that she's kind of fighting for a lost cause that she doesn't really believe in. All good stuff. I'm gonna, I guess, go with Tiger Wolf and Sharyar just obviously flirting. <laughs> okay. Zach, do you have a high point? I don't really remember the first part of it very well. I probably should have rewatched once you told me that we were going to need to, but whatever. I think I might just have to go with the obvious one of uh, Ayame using the NTD to take control of all the funnels, because that was pretty rad. It's very cool. I'm going to go with Ayame's emotional arc, and specifically her being like, yeah, I know that this actually isn't going to do anything, and that I just am acting emotionally, but like, I don't care. It's what I got to do. I think that's like a really good exploration of somebody who gets into one of those desperate situations and how sunk cost fallacy can take you over. Do you have a low point, Tyler? That's actually surprisingly hard on this episode just because it was like relatively solid overall, which is a weird thing to say about build divers. I think my low point is actually just kind of like how much the poor characterization of the lieutenant characters, like anything could have been done with them that would have made them more interesting. And and so they were just like, slightly more named mooks. Uh, Zach, do you have a low point? That was the one I was thinking of. What did I use the first time around? I cannot remember. Man, uh, come back to me. I'm going to see if I can think of something. I'm going to go with the way Riku just parrots everything Ayame says for the whole first bit because he has no personality. (laughs) And he's just like, a security camera, chafe grenades, MP4, uh, Zach, back to you. I mean, the one that really stands out is the the one that Tyler went with, the fact that those guys have absolutely no character. Because all of Ayame's backstory is pretty good um, in the way it is done. Maybe not necessarily presented, the fact that they're just standing around talking the entire time. I guess I'd just have to go with the procedural thing. I wish somebody had come up and mentioned the whole, like, teams that she's on fall apart thing before, because right here it feels kind of like it's just thrown in as a oh we should add something more to this all right we added the rx0 maro to our list last time i don't know that i want to rank it again i don't know what i want to go through the motions so i will just summarize we put it at number three above the justice and below the vilcus because i really like the unicorn i like it more than the justice and this is the unicorn and also a ninja zach fought hard to put it lower but me and tyler overpowered him because tyler likes the dumb gimmick I do, in fact, like the dumb gimmick. So join us next week when we will be watching episode 12, Shining Wings. I'm sure Zach will have lots of nice things to say about that episode. (laughs) This episode was so good. How can the next one be bad? It's only uphill from here. So Captain Uphill, was this Gundam or was this Isekai? You said you had a strong opinion. Yeah, it's a shitty teenager overcoming life problems in the middle of conflict. It's definitely Gundam. Zach? I think I gotta go with the same thing Tyler said. It's a shitty teenager getting to be a better person. So I think I gotta go with it's Gundam. All right. Well, we'll see if that keeps up next week or not. Bye.